Okay, I'm just going to mute everybody here. If you want to unmute yourself, you have a question, please feel free to do so. But I'll mute everybody in the meantime. Parshas Truma, which is in Shemos, it begins, Perek Chafhei, chapter 25, the very first Pasuk in the Perek. Let us go. Now, before we begin the actual Psukim, okay, I want to give a little bit of a uh, preview as to what we're going, as uh, what we're going to see. So Parshas Truma discusses the building of the Mishkan, which, as we're going to learn today, we'll get a little more in-depth into this, is when HaKadosh Baruch Hu, after the sin of Klal Yisrael, says, you know what, guys, I'm coming back. We're going to go back to our relationship the way it was done originally uh, before the sin of the golden calf, and we're going to move on. There's going to be complete teshuva, which, interestingly, is something that really we have to emulate, but really only Hashem could do, Right? Where when we're in relationships and and we're hurt in that relationship, even if to an extent it can be repaired, in the future we, we need to protect ourselves. And therefore there's always gonna be a little bit of an element, unless somebody's really able to, you know, just completely remove themselves from what happened, but usually there's like a little bit of an element of, you know, hurt or insult that hangs around just from our experience. And to make sure it doesn't happen anymore. When it comes to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when we do Teshuva, it no longer exists. It doesn't exist. It's not like Hashem still has like these hurt. It's gone. It's a totally clean slate to such an extent where HaKadosh Baruch Hu actually takes the action of sin or unfaithfulness on our part and he turns it into a mitzvah. Now the question is, how is that possible? How can Hashem take a sin through repentance and turn it into a mitzvah? So this is such a beautiful part of Hashem's kindness and, and how everything really works within Judaism. And that's as follows. Our responsibility in this world is to take the experiences we have, part of our experience, there's other, right? But part of our responsibility is to take the experiences we have and use them constructively. Use it constructively. That's part of my responsibility. If somebody, chas v'sholem, God forbid, hurts me, I should take that experience and make sure it doesn't happen to anybody else. Make sure I don't, I'm not that person who's hurting other people. So I take the experience and, then, and, I, and I build off of it and I say, you know what, I'm going to learn from it and turn it into a positive thing that, that helped me develop within my life. So too it is with the sin. If a person is able to take this unfaithfulness on our part and say to Hashem, you know, Hashem, I know that it was uncalled for. I shouldn't have spoken that gossip or slander. I shouldn't have done whatever particular sin I just committed. But I understand that now. I'm doing teshuva. Guess what just happened? By definition, I'm now using that experience to bring me to a closer bond to Hashem. And therefore, it turns into a mitzvah, because mitzvahs bring me closer to the Rebbein Shalim. So what Hashem does is He'll say, not even is it not going to be considered a sin, I'm going to change the Avera into a mitzvah. I'm going to change this into a bonding opportunity uh, between us, and you're actually going to receive reward for the entire story now. Now, it doesn't mean a person should sin in order to do tshuva, but we're just looking into... 
you know, how, you know, Hashem's kindness and how he allows the relationship to, to really be a relationship where, where God is constantly the giver and constantly able to give on, you know, on that end because we know that's, that's what Hashem wants. Hashem wants, he has the storehouse of blessing and just wants to be able to give us the same way a parent wants to give a child, the same way any giving person just wants to be a giver, wants to give to somebody else. But if it's detrimental to them and it's going to hurt them, you can't. But if they allow you and put you into the position to be the giver, oh, what a good feeling it is. Okay. So, yeah, go ahead. Why, why is it that then were we forgiven for the sin of Adam and, and Chava because we're still not at a place that they were? Correct. So that means that there was never, uh, what Linda's asking is, were we ever forgiven? The answer, right. the, the answer to that is there obviously has not been a complete repair. Okay. And that's, that's part of our responsibility to do is to bring about that complete repair. Yeah, Rabbit's and Cone. Linda, can I talk to Linda for a sec? For one sec. Linda, are you talking about um, the idea that the Averas of Adam and Chava? Yeah, yes. to go back to that. That's, okay. That ultimately will happen, but yeah, we, we, haven't, uh, we haven't gotten to that level yet. Okay. Be it as it may, HaKadosh Baruch we have the sin of the golden calf, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, God says in our parsha, build for me a mikdash, right? I, I, I want to build, please build for me a, a sanctuary so that I could dwell inside of you. Now, before we begin the actual verses, we're going to come across the utensils of the Mishkan, and I want to just give a brief overview of each utensil in the Mishkan, because we're not going to get this far in the verses, but it's very worthwhile um, to get this, uh, get this understanding that because we know that in Judaism, it's not about rituals. It's about relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So how is this Mishkan going to bring me a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu? So listen to this. The Chidushe Gaonim um, in, uh, in Tractate Menachos 29, he says as follows. He says that the structure of the Mishkan and the vessels within it correspond to the various body parts, various organs and parts of the body. And he explains as follows. He says the Aron, the Ark, that was inside the Mishkan corresponds to the heart. The Aron was at the center. That was the heart of the Mishkan. And just as a person's life depends upon the vitality of the heart, so too the Aron, the Ark, which contains the tablets, spread that, that um, holiness spread throughout the entire Mishkan. It was all based, if the, if the tablets were there with the Aron, then the Mishkan had the Kedusha. The same way the heart pumps everything to the rest of the body, the Aron was the center of the Mishkan. The Keruvim, which were the childlike figures on top of the Mishkan, with their wings spread over the Aron, that corresponds to the lungs over the heart. Okay? The lungs over the heart. That's another vital organ that's the the fresh air right the the oxygen that comes in we know that what's the difference whether you're old or young how do you know different somebody's young or old i'll tell you the difference i know many 19 year olds that are going on 155 there's no vitality there's nothing robust about the way that they're living and nothing there's no vibrancy at all yet we have many people, can I know how we have people here in shul with us, right? You have people in their, in their 90s and 100s, yeah? 
uh, we don't have anybody a hundred right now. Bez Hashem, right? We should be zayicha, but they're they they have vitality. They're vibrant, so they're you know they're a hundred and seven going on eighteen, because there's there's oxygen there. There's energy there. The shulchan, the table that was in the mishkan, represents the stomach, right? The table is the livelihood that that uh, you know we get our sustenance with. So that represents the stomach of a person. The menorah the, represents the mind, which has the same way light goes beyond itself. Right? It is in one place, but light gives off light elsewhere. The mind really goes beyond itself. As the, as the Chesidah are, are uh, have said, and this is so true when you think about it, a person sees more with their eyes closed than they do with their eyes open. When our eyes are open, we see what we see. When you close your eyes, you can see so far. You can see so much. You, the, the mind even goes beyond what, our, when our eyes are open, it's limited to. When a person dreams at night, right? It's, it's, it's the, the, the brain just functioning without any sort of of limitation. Sometimes it could be a detriment, yeah? Something could be a detriment, but in the big picture, right, it's a, it's a good thing. So the menorah, which gives off light, represents the mind. The incense, the katoras that was brought in the mishkan, represents the smell. The kiar, the copper um, instrument uh, that the kohanim would use to wash their hands and feet, um, that corresponds to the liquid elements of the body. All the liquid elements of the body, that's the flow, like the Kiar flows through, you know, flows to allow the Kohen to now move through, from vessel to vessel, and that's what liquid does. Liquid, right, a solid stays in one place. A liquid is constantly uh, flowing. The curtains were made of goat skin. That corresponds to the epidermis. Yeah, that corresponds to the skin that we have on us. The beams symbolize the ribs of a person that like surround and, and protect um, the, the heart and the other vital organs. And each and every part of the Mishkan represents, is, is there to teach us that each and every one of us is a Mishkan, as we're about to see. Each and every, the, the Mishkan is not there as a ritual. The Mishkan is there for us to learn that we, the, the goal is not to have Hashem in an edifice, the goal is to have HaKadosh Baruch Hu inside us. The reason why He comes into the edifice is to relate to us that He can come inside of us. Okay, now how do we go about pulling this off? How does this, how does this work? So now, with that introduction, let us get going into our Parsha. Verse 25, uh, chapter 25, verse 1, Parsha Shuma. Hashem spoke to Moshe Lamar to say over. Okay, and I'm translating it like that on purpose. Generally, people say, Hashem spoke to Moshe saying. The true translation of Lamar is to say. Whenever you find this verse, that means Hashem's telling Moshe to say this to the rest of the nation. Okay, so whenever you find this pasuk, it's not that Hashem spoke to Moshe, it's Hashem spoke to Moshe to tell this to everybody else. What did he tell Moshe? Dabro B'nai Yisrael, speak to B'nai Yisrael. V'yikhu li And they should take for me a donation. 
take for me a donation. Fascinating expression. What would we expect it to say? Give. Give a donation. But it doesn't say, li. they should give for me truma. It says they should take for me truma. Okay, let's keep going. Who should we take it from? May ace call ish from each man, Asher Yedvenu Libo, whose heart desires to give. Don't force anybody. Anybody who wants to give considers it to be an honor to be part of the, to be part of the building of, of God's house. Tikhu Eshchurumasi. They should take, again, expression of taking as opposed to giving, they should take the truma. What truma? So let's keep reading, and then we're going to get back to these verses. Let's keep reading verse. Uh, we're going to read now verse 3 through verse 8. Okay? Pasagimel through Pasaches. What should we give? This is the truma you should take from amongst them. This is what we need donated. All right? Here's the list. Zohav, gold, kesef, silver, nechoshes, copper, tcheles, the blue wool, the argamon, and scar- purple wool, the talas shani, and the talas shani, Yes, so we want blue wool, purple wool, scarlet wool, and the talas shani, both linen and uh, linens and, and um, items spun from goat hair. Va'irais elim, ma'adamim, skins of a ram that are red, va'oros techashim, and skins of tachash, which is a type of animal that does not exist nowadays. Interestingly, there's a medrash that says the tachash animal is the skin that Adam and Chava wore after their sin. It says, right, in the movies, they have them covered up in leaves. That's not what it says in the Torah. In the Torah, it says they were covered in ar. They covered themselves with, with leather. With skin. So the Medrash says, this is not a verse anymore, but the Medrash says that what skins did they wear? It was a tachash skin. The tachash skin was, from, was an animal that was, uh, as my daughter Sarah would say, a unicorn, because she likes these colorful unicorns. But it's not a unicorn. It's, it's a multicolored, just a beautiful, fantastic, um, a beautiful, fantastic, uh, colorful skin that existed in the times of Adam and that animal existed in the times of the desert and then it ceased to exist once it wasn't needed anymore, which by the way is a powerful message. If, you ever, if there's anything that's still in existence, any sort of species in the marine life, the fish, the animals, the bugs, that, that means it's still needed in Hashem's world. But be it as it may, it was these fascinating tochash skins that were used in the Mishkan. Fa'atzei shitim. And shitim wood, shemen lama'ar, we need oil, olive oil for the menorah, to light, besamim, we need good spices, l'shemen amishcha, for the shemen amishcha, v'lektaris asamim, which, need, which is the smelling, what else do you bring? Avnei shoam, the shoam stones, v'avnei meluim, the meluim stones, the stones that filled up the breastplate of the kohen, la'ephod, for the ephod, for the v'lachoshen, for the um, two stones above each shoulder, and the choshen, the, breast, the, the breastplate. V'yasuli mikdash, and Hashem says, what are you going to do with all this? You will make for me a mikdash v'shachanti b'socham, so that I will dwell inside of you. Why are you doing all this? Guess how we started out today. Because the mishkan represents the human. It represents the body. And therefore, make this for me, v'shachanti b'socham, because the ultimate goal is to take this as a personal message so that I can dwell inside of each and every yid. That's ultimately Hashem's goal. He wants us to know that we can live 
in this small little area, so to speak, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Okay? Now, there's a fascinating medrash. Before we get back, taking apart each pasuk, each thing's going to lead to the next. On, just on this, uh, on this idea of Hashem dwelling inside of the heart of a person. It's the fascinating medrash, chapter 34, uh, number one, Allah Aluf. It says that, that um, when Moshe received this command to build the Mishkan, Moshe says, Hashem, I don't understand. I thought you're everywhere. Your glory fills the entire world. We say this in Kedusha, right? In the Chazan's repetition. Is it possible that the glory that fills, the, fills up the upper world, the lower world, is going to go fit into a small sanctuary? And HaKadosh Baruch Hu responds, Moshe, you don't even understand. Not only do I fit into a sanctuary, I fit into one square ama. I fit into a foot and a half by a foot and a half. That's the medrash. What's he talking about? What's happening here? What's, what's this conversation between Hashem and Moshe? So Rabbi Rucham Levavitz, in uh, his Sefer Das Chachma Umusr, uh, in the second, uh, in the second uh, part, second volume, in the 55th mimer, in the 55th uh, speech, we'll call it, um, so in the Sefer Das Chachma Musa, Biruchim says that Moshe was, was really bothered like how this ultimately works. How is Hashem going to fit into a small area? And Biruchim says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu's response was a teaching moment, I'm sorry, was a learning moment for Moshe Rabbeinu in really how Hashem works. Moshe thought, even Moshe Rabbeinu, he thought that because HaKadosh Baruch Hu is seen in everything and is the creator of everything, so, Hashem, why are you confining yourself? Why are you confining yourself? What does this even mean that you're going to dwell particularly in one place? And HaKadosh Baruch Hu is responding to Moshe that this is how a human relationship with me works. That, so to speak, a person cannot ever think to themselves, I'm a simple Jew, I'm a simple person, nothing, I'm not made out of anything particularly special, right? Really? God, in his full form, can dwell in me, with me, like as a unit? That's, for, that's, that's not me. That's for like real holy people, right? I, I just try to be a good person. I'm just trying to do my thing, right? And HaKadosh Baruch Hu is telling Moshe in the end of verse Ches, no, 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 this is a mistake. If we view our relationship like that, we're never going to get to the depths of the relationship. Vishachanti bisocham. It is possible to have my divine presence rest in any person with whatever situation, whatever talent exists, and therefore it's a responsibility. But to achieve that responsibility we need to be dedicated like the Mishkan. Right? We need to be dedicated to have uh, the Shekhinah inside of us. Now this is, this is a, a big idea because I want to share um, a beautiful story um, that I came across a while back. I don't recall the source where, which, uh, where I got the story from. Um, I, so if I don't remember where I got the story from, it's usually either Rabbi Pesach Kron or Rabbi Yisachar Fran, but I'm not sure. Uh, it could be somewhere else. I don't know. But they're, uh, you know, uh, years back with my older notes, I uh, get a lot of stories from them. But they bring down a story um, that following the Spanish Inquisition, um, 
we shared this in Shul a number of years ago, there was a, a large number of Jews that began making their way back to Eretz Yisrael. They made Aliyah. And Tzfas, in particular, became the center of Judaism. Um, during that time, the Arizal, Rabbi Yosef Karo, who wrote the Shulchan Aruch, the Alshech, Rav Moshe Cordovero, they were tremendous, tremendous tzaddikim who all lived in the same city of Tzfas in that time. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling to think of the power of godliness that, that uh, was going on in Tzfas at that time. So the story goes that during that era, there was a refugee from Portugal who after a number of years of hiding uh, his religion, um, came to, made Aliyah, came to Eretz Yisrael together with his wife, and they were totally ignorant. They, did, they really had zero education whatsoever. And one day, during Parshas Truma, um, so the rabbi in the shul, this, this refugee comes to shul to pray, Dava with the minyan, and the rabbi of the shul starts talking about the mishkan and the lechem haponim, right, the, the showbreads that were placed uh, on the shulchan, on the table in the mishkan. And as the rav was painting this picture of the showbreads on the table, he gave a, he gave a krechts, you know, he sighed. And he said, you know, oh, just picture the beauty. It's too bad we don't have this anymore. We don't, we don't have the lechem upon him. It just doesn't exist. So this refugee was extremely ignorant. He didn't, he didn't know anything from anything. But he saw the rabbi was sad. And why was he sad? Because there was no showbread that was put on the table in front of the ark. Right? So he's got no clue. So he comes home from shul. And he tells his wife, he says, listen. From now on, every Friday, you know, you bake challah. Let's make two extra loaves of bread. Every, every, and I'll put it in front of the ark in the shul. It'll make Hashem happy. I'll put it in front of the ark, right? So, uh, okay, what do they know? That sounded, uh, sounded like a good idea. So Friday afternoon, he takes the fresh challah, empty shul. He puts the challah in front of the Aron Kodesh and he begins to cry and to daven, Hashem, accept this as an offering. Same as the tabernacle. My rabbi said, you've been so sad since then. And, and he leaves, he goes home, takes a shower. And every week, for, for a, few, a few months, he would, he would put the challah down, he would leave and he would come back Friday night and the challah would be gone. He's like, oh. Maybe God ate it, you know, I don't know. Uh, maybe some, some angel came and took it. He didn't know what happened to the challah. Okay. It's went on for a couple, a few months. And they were very happy. They're doing a big mitzvah. Him and his wife. Yeah, they're making Hashem happy. God's got his challahs again. Uh, they don't know why nobody else has ever done this till now. Come on, just make a couple challahs. But, no, you got to take action. Okay. Now, what they didn't know is that the shamish of the shul would come in a little bit before Kabbalah Shabbos. And to straighten up, yeah, and he would see these challahs there, and he would think somebody left it for him, and he'd take it home for Shabbos. All right, no, somebody's giving me an anonymous present. You know, he's a poor guy, he doesn't have much. Okay. So one Friday, after a few months, one Friday, the, the Rav comes early to shul uh, he, to, pre- to prepare for a big sermon. He's got a big speech, so he comes a little early. So he walks in, and he sees this guy crying, in front of the Aron Kaidish, in front of the Ark, with two challahs, and he's pouring his heart out. So the rabbi says, what are you doing? She so says, Rabbi, you know, a few months ago, I heard your class about the showbreads, Parshas Truma, 
And I wanted Hashem to have it again. So every week, I come, I bring him two chalas, and he, he accepts it. So the rabbi says, what's wrong with you? What's your problem? Do you really think that God eats challah? Seriously? The mitzvah of the bread is in the, in the mishkan. You put it on the table when you have the mikdash, you have the base of mikdash, when you had the mishkan, in the, in the desert. It doesn't apply nowadays. You're not even allowed to do that. What is, it's like paganism over here. Right? What is this? He says, guy feels terrible. He says, Zayve, what do I do? How do I do tshuva? He's heartbroken. Innocent guy. Making a terrible mistake. Right? But he's heartbroken. Listen to the end of this story. And you need a source. That's why I said. I forgot the source for this. I, I need, this is one of the stories you need to write the source. Because it's one of those that are a little too wild. If you don't have a, a competent source. So I got it from a good place. I'm just not... Uh, I'll find the source for this. I looked it up. A few weeks later, the Rav of the Shul receives a message from the Arizal, the Ari HaKadosh, to come see him immediately. And he shows up to the Arizal, and the Arizal tells him the following message. He says, I'm passing on a message from a Malach, from an angel, you, you're not going to live to see tomorrow. You're going to die tonight. You should say goodbye to your family. Since the time that the Beis HaMikdash has been destroyed, there's been rare occasions that have given HaKadosh Baruch Hu as much Nachas Ruach, such pleasure, until... This fellow and his wife innocently and wholeheartedly brought the two chalas for Shabbos to the shul. You took away that pleasure. You will not live till tomorrow. And the Rav died that night. That's the story. Now, you need a source for the story, right? I remember that. Again, by next week, I'll have where I got this from. Here's why this is so amazing. Here's why this is so amazing. We're not allowed to serve Hashem however we want. That's true, right? There's guidelines. We have a Torah. And the Torah says, this is how you are to serve me. Don't start slaughtering your kids. Don't start the, just because you think you're, it's an Avera. You're not allowed to do that. The way to serve me, Hashem says, the way to build a relationship with me, I'll tell you how to be in a relationship with me. I'll tell you how. Yet, yet, what HaKadosh Baruch Hu ultimately desires is the sincerity. Not to take away from the action, but even when we do an action, what HaKadosh Baruch Hu ultimately desires is the desire for the relationship. That's what we all think about. That's what we all desire in our relationships. We know this. It's not about giving somebody a cake that says I love you and then never calling, never doing anything, never, right? I did the action, right? That's like the, the famous yeshivish story where there's a guy having Shalom Bayez problems. He goes to his Rebbe, he says, Rebbe, what should I do? His Rebbe says, on Friday, buy her flowers. Come on, you can't buy her flowers for Shabbos. Buy her flowers. The guy says, oh, okay. My Rebbe says, I should buy her flowers. Friday afternoon, he comes home from shul, he hands the flowers to his wife, he says, my Rebbe said I should buy you flowers. Oi, oi, right? Nebuch, right? <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate the flowers from your Rebbe. Is it the action that's going to do anything? No. 
it's, I, I want a relationship. I don't want the flower. The flowers represent something else. What HaKadosh Baruch Hu really wants, says our Parsha, and this is the big message of our Parsha. The big message of our Parsha is, Hashem says, I want a Mishkan. But why do I want a Mishkan? Because I want to dwell with you. That's what I desire. I need you. I want your heart. I want, to, I, I, I want a relationship. And therefore, let's live together. Let's be emotionally attached. That is really, as we go through the Parsha, what Parsha's Truma is, what, what, the, what the overriding message is. Okay, now, let's get into verse 2. We're going to back up and go through the, and go through the, uh, the words for as much as we can over here. Um, all right, yikes, we only have a few more minutes. Let's get going. All right, so Hashem, so, so what does it say in verse 2? Dabro b'nei Yisrael v'yichudi truma. Speak to B'nai Yisrael and take for me truma. So the, what's called the Veltz Kasha. The world, the whole world asks the same question. Everybody who reads this passage, what do you mean take truma? What do you mean take? You're supposed to give. There's a lot of answers given. I'll share with you my favorite one. Here's my favorite answer. The Malbim on Tehillim. Chapter 49, verse 18. There's a Pasuk which says, Kilo bimoso yikachakol. Every human being in death does not take everything. Lo yered acharav kivodo. It does not descend after him his honor. Again. Kilo bimoso yikachakol, right? Not in death can you take everything. Lo yeyred acharav, your honor does not descend to the grave with you. The Malbim asks, I don't understand this verse at all. In the grave, you can't take everything? You can't take anything. Why does the verse, why does David HaMelech tell us, in death you can't take everything? He should have said, you can't take anything. We don't take anything to the grave. It's all left here. The famous story of Reichman, right? In his biography, eh? right? Uh, he, he left a will. He left behind billions and billions of dollars to his family. It's a well-known story, so I'll just make it uh, uh, 30 seconds. In his will, he wrote the, uh, a letter. He wrote, I intend to be buried with my socks on. And then they had a whole shayla, the Rav, ultimately paskened, you're not allowed to, only tachrichim. You're not allowed to wear socks. He had another letter that was given to the family after 30 days where he told his children, by now you realize I wasn't even allowed to take my own a pair of socks into the grave. That was the message to his children to use their time in this world wisely and not squander the, the, the money that he left behind and to use it appropriately. That was his message. So the question is why, again, it's just strengthening the question. The verse should have said, you cannot take anything. Says the Malbim, listen to this, precious. He says, there is a bank account that we take with us, which is our truma, our donations that we give to support Hashem's glory, the donations that we give to tzedakah. A person has $1,000 in their bank account and they give a 10%, $100 to tzedakah, guess what just happened? The 900 that's still in the bank stays in this world. The 100 that was given actually functions so to speak, as our bank account in Shemayim. So therefore it says you can't take everything, but there is something you're going to take, and that is 
whatever time, energy, finances we use constructively to Hashem to build that relationship, that's what we do take with us. And that's why it says you can't take everything, but you do, uh, you do take some. This is why our Pasuk says over here, the Yikhuli Truma, take for me Truma as opposed to giving. Because Hashem over here is giving us this message. And He's telling us that you know the only time a human being is really receiving? When are we receiving a long-term hold? When we're giving to Hashem's glory. When we give in a way that Hashem asks us to give, what that re- what's really happening is we're depositing into our heavenly bank account. That's, that's why the, the psukkim over here keep reiterating the word receiving, taking, as opposed to giving. Okay, now, even within giving slash taking, there's different, uh, there's different levels of giving. All giving is a mitzvah, no question. But listen to this, it's a beautiful idea. The Medrash tells us that if you look at the third verse, what should you give? It says you should give zahav, gold, kesef, silver, nechoshes, copper. That's the first three. Says the Medrash, these three words, gold, silver, and copper in Hebrew, represent three different categories of givers. Listen to what the Medrash says. It's beautiful. When you look at the Hebrew letters, Zahav is the Hebrew letters, Zion, Hey, Beis. The Medrash says that is an acronym for the following three Hebrew words. Zahav, Zeh, Hanosein, Bari. This person who gives when they are healthy, when they have everything. A golden a given. The highest level giving is when we give because we want to give. I just want to be a giver. Zeh hanosein bari. A person who gives when there's health, when we're robust, everything's going, but I still want to give. That's a gold in a giving. Kesef is silver. What are the Hebrew letters? Chaf What does that stand for, says the Medrash? Three words. sakana podeh. When I'm in danger, I try to redeem myself. I'm giving... Because I have a little bit of an agenda. I'm giving because, let's say, God forbid, a person's going through an illness. And I'm giving because I want zechusim. We need added merits over here. That is a full-fledged giving. There's tzedakah, there's reward. But there's a little bit of self-need in there. So I'm not giving strictly just to give. It's because I need a little bit here also. Now, is it, is it truma? A million percent. A million percent. That's kesef. That's a silver given. And what is nechoshes? What is copper? So that is nunches, shinches, okay, uh, n- 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 uh, shinsof. That stands for nesinas chole, nesinas chole, the giving of a sick person, she'omer tenu, that says just give. She'omer tenu, what does that mean? It says in front of somebody on their deathbed. They realize one foot's in the grave, the other one's in a banana peel. I got, I got, I, I, it's, my last, it's my last day in the world. I realize that. And you know something? I got a bank account here. What am I going to do with it? I'll give it all away. Let me at least get as many merits as I could possibly have. But 
it, it's because it, it's because I I know that I can't gain anything from this anymore anyway. That's why I'm giving. That's a copper giving. Is it again? Is it truma? Yes. Is it a mitzvah? Yes. Is there a reward? Yes. But is it coming from the deepest and best place, midos wise? Not necessarily. So the Medrash says we just have to be cognizant of ourselves, be self aware when we give, give as gold, give as silver, give as copper, no question. No matter what scenario we're in, sometimes we're put into a kesef situation against our will. Chas v'shalom, God sends an illness into a, into a person, into a family, into a situation. You tell me, oh, you know what, since it's not a golden giving, no, Hashem sent that. Maybe Hashem's testing me, am I going to give in a category of zav? Right? But the managers is hinting to us, here's what I believe the purpose is. Here's what I believe the purpose is. I want to explain what the purpose is with a story that makes myself not look so good. Okay? Here's a story that makes myself not look so good. There, there was a, um, a person who, uh, from Shul. This is, this is uh, seven, eight years ago. That um, they, were, they were in the hospital. They were in the hospital. And sometimes it's, you know, as a rub, you have to know. Sometimes people don't even tell you. So it's hard to know how to assume uh, what the person wants. Sometimes, you know, you, th- you have to like understand their personality. Some, you know, like, are they not telling me because they don't want me to come? They don't want, you know, are they not telling me because they really want? They just don't want uh, people to feel bad, but they would appreciate a visit. You never, it, it's difficult to, to you know, it's, it's like a balance, a, a game you always need to play. But there was one particular situation where the person specifically called me up and let me know they're in the hospital and said they would appreciate a visit. It was a, it was a Sunday, okay? And I, was, I, rem- I still remember, I was sitting at a different shul's dinner. It was like a Sunday evening. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna go on Monday. And then Monday, there was a Leviah. Um, somebody passed away and I was, cr- I was handling a, a funeral. Whatever. There was no way I was able to get out there. No way. Tuesday... Um, Tuesday I heard after Shachris That this person Baruch Hashem is doing very well And they're going to be out of the hospital By Tuesday night hopefully They're going to discharge Tuesday night And I thought to myself I was like oh Tendler you're such a loser Right, right? You can't well, Come on <laughs> Sunday, Monday Take all the valid excuses you want You didn't get the job done Right This person's been waiting for two days They're going to be discharged Baruch Hashem is going to be discharged But I didn't visit Right so in my mind, this is going back seven, eight years ago. So I'll tell you what I did. Again, I'm, I'm telling you my, my sin within this mitzvah, okay? I was like, you know, I felt terrible. So I went all out. I went to this store and I got a special balloon. We are like, you punch the balloon and it starts singing. And uh, you do this. And I like eight things of chocolate and flowers. I got this whole to do. And I came to the hospital and this, and this patient was, mom was like, oh, blown away. Wow, what a great rabbi. And, and we spent time, and you know, I got the job done, and I went home. On my way home, I'm going to tell you, I'm telling you right now, I felt like two cents. I felt like, a, like I wasn't, I felt so bad about myself, I was, I, was, I was angry at myself. And I'll tell you why I was angry. 
The reason why I was angry, and I hope I've, you know, personally, we have to learn messages from this, and that's why I'm, I'm sharing it. So I could learn a message, and you could, right? And we get, I knew that the reason why I went all out was not really for the patient. I went all out to soothe my conscience. Like, like if, if I slip that, now, is it, does it limit what was done? Does that mean I shouldn't have done it? No, no, no. Chas v'sholem. Mevakar chayla. The person had you go. But to an extent, there's a, psychologically, emotionally, we, the Torah wants us to be self-aware when we perform a mitzvah. The golden way to do it is when I'm really there for the other person completely. I'm giving completely. And then there's other times where, again, it's silver and we don't choose to be in a silver situation. But it's a silver thing. There's a little bit of underlying, it is for me too. Either it's, in my situation, it was my own conscience to like over, what's it called? To overcompensate, so to speak, right? To kind of like overcompensate for them. And then there's the choshas, like why not? You're like what else am I going to be doing with this? I might, as well, I might as well give it to somebody else. All them mitzvahs, but be, the Torah says, be aware. Be aware what's driving this giving, what's driving this, um, this uh, thing that's happening over there. Okay, one more quick idea, and then I'll take any questions. Um, one more quick idea is that the Aron was, in the building of the Aron, the Torah states that it needs to be coated with gold inside and outside. Now, why is it coated inside and outside? The Gemara tells us, to tell us that a, that a human being, a Jew, in order to serve Hashem properly, has to be coated with gold inside and outside. We have to be tocho kabaro. Our externals should not be any different than our internals. Sometimes it's needed in order to grow. Sometimes it's needed. Okay, But the goal is that my inside and my outside should be in sync. That's the healthiest way to go about it. Now the question is, if I should be solid, why is the middle wood? It says it should be, the, the Aron was coated in wood. The middle was wood, and it, it was coated with gold. Inside and outside, we go, why is the middle wood? Listen to this precious answer, and we'll end with this. Says Rav Hirsch, Rav Shamshin Rafal Hirsch says, the Aron, again, represents the heart. Represents the heart of a person. In order for a person to really be gold inside and outside, Gold is stagnant. You cannot be a solid gold. Gold inside and outside is only when your center is wood. Wood grew. It represents growth. When a person realizes that in life we're always in flux. There's ups and there's downs. There's growth. There's dependency on rain, which is outside environments, other people. When our center is wood, a desire for flux, for fluctuation, for growth, that is a true sign that a person is, is gold inside and outside. Otherwise, you can't be gold inside and outside. Beautiful idea. We'll hold it here for today, and now we'll take any questions.